0: Haven't had an opportunity yet to meet my friend Stephen Gilchrist. This is Stephen, and uh, thanks for being with us today. Stephen and I are going to uh, do some team preaching today, so uh, that means I think it means we get to preach for like 80 minutes, at least, something like that. Um, maybe, maybe not. I left my phone at my seat, so don't send a text um, to correct me or anything. Um, so we're looking at the book of Philemon today, and we're talking about the power of the gospel to transform relationships. The gospel, good news, good news that Jesus has come into the world to rescue and to redeem and to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Uh, which is good news partially because the, the world is complicated and life is hard. I don't know if you uh, are aware of a show. It's on Netflix now. I think it was originally on NBC called The Good Place. And uh, it's maybe hard to imagine a sitcom that takes deep, a deep look at moral philosophy, but The Good Place does that. In fact, one of my philosophy professors from college is uh, an advisor for this show. Occasionally his books show up in the background. Um, and uh, so a recent episode I was watching basically uh, had an angel reporting that nobody's earned their way into heaven. Now, that's the premise of the show, right? It's not good news. The premise is pretty bad news, that you got to be good enough and earn your way into heaven. But nobody's done it for 500 years, and they think something is wrong because nobody's been good enough for 500 years, and they're trying to figure out what the problem is. And finally, they realize the problem is life has gotten so complicated now that nobody can be good anymore. The example they give is someone trying to buy fresh tomatoes, right, and uh, trying to decide whether they drive to buy the tomatoes or walk, and uh, uh, trying to decide, you know, do they buy organic tomatoes or not, and do they buy their tomatoes at a local grocery shop, uh, supporting small businesses, or do they go to a large chain, and all these complicating factors And do they buy extra tomatoes and give some of them away? Or is it okay to just feed them to their own family? And life has gotten so complicated that nobody can be good anymore. Let's listen to Jesus and listen to him say, good news, life is simple. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it's simple. Jesus says to get life right. Do two things, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You don't have the power to do those things, but the, the gospel, the good news that Jesus can change us, that has power to transform us so that we can love God and neighbor in these ways, even in a world where relationships are very complicated. So in today's Scripture reading, we're going to hear not the entirety but the, the bulk of the New Testament letter called Philemon, and it's going to reflect some complicated relationships between the man who wrote it, the Apostle Paul, who is in prison while the, he's writing this letter. He's writing it to a man named Philemon who's a leader in the church who also is a first-century Roman citizen. And like many first century Roman citizens, he is a slaveholder and one of his slaves is named Onesimus. Onesimus has found his way to Paul in prison and has become a believer in Jesus and now Paul is sending Onesimus back and saying to Philemon, he is now your brother in Christ and that should completely change your Relationship. Why? Because everything about what we're about to hear is built on this assumption that human beings and our relationships can be powerfully transformed by the good news about what Jesus Christ has done for us. Let's listen now as we hear a reading from the book
1: of Philemon. Today's scripture reading is from Philemon, verses 4 through 18. but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. This
0: is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to
2: God. You would bow with me as we pray. God, as we gather here, you have invited us to be hearers and doers of your word. I pray that we would be obedient. I pray God that you would fill us with your spirit even now giving us ears to hear and eyes to see your truth. And do it in such a way that Jesus is made glorious. And all the saints who agree with that, that prayer said, amen. amen. Y'all got to have to speak, a, speak up a little bit. Um, I might be Presbyterian, but I'm a black Presbyterian. Amen. amen. So, I want to tell you a story about a brother named Onesimus. I'm not talking about the Onesimus we just heard about, I'm talking about a different brother named Onesimus. Go back with me to the 1700s. Puritanism was high. Those, those were the, the theological giants, if you will. There's one man, Cotton Mather, is that the? Let's go with it. Yeah. Okay. Cotton Mather, I, I said his last name a little differently. But he, he's an up-and-coming theologian, going through seminary, coming out, and he writes a book in 1706. And this book, back then, was a bestseller. That book brought so much fame and glory to the North Church that was in Boston that his congregation said, hey, we're going to actually bless our pastor for writing such a great book and it being so faithful that they decided to give him a gift. Now, that seems normal, right? If, if Jimmy were to write a book and it, it, it went well <laughs> and you decide to give him a gift, but this is a different kind of gift. This gift was a man. So, what they did is the congregation took about 40 or 50 pounds at that time, made some contacts with some people in the West Indies. And they said, for this faithful service in this book, we're going to gift our pastor a man. So, they bought that man, they shipped that man, and brought him to Boston. Now, I don't know how you guys feel about Puritans. I feel a certain way about them knowing some of the history because I am a historian, um, which hurts at times as it also enlightens. Mm. But in this case, Cotton didn't do what you might think he did. He didn't say, hey, hey, brothers, hey, sisters, thank you for trying to, you know, bless me. But this is out of line. Actually, what he did was he welcomed this newly shipped man, renamed him Onesimus because he wanted him to be useful, and then he changed his ethnicity to one that would be favorable for him and for the congregation. This is 1706. Many of us still read the Puritans to this day. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just telling you, all that glitters ain't gold. Hmm. Now, why, why do I tell this story? Is it because Cotton is a man who we think intended to live out the, the two greatest things that Jimmy read off? For us to love God and to love neighbor? Did he fail in doing that? Is it possible that he... He just really loved God with his whole heart, soul, and mind that he felt the best thing to do was to welcome a man that was basically property as the pastor of a church. Did he love God with his whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, Jimmy?
0: Fair question on on one uh... And it seems like he's a man who knows the scriptures well. He knows them well enough to know that um, there's a slave in scripture named Onesimus. And he knows the scriptures so well that he wants, seems to want some aspects of, of the Bible to show up in daily life. So he's thinking about this new relationship with this man who has been gifted to him by the congregation in light of the scriptures. So there's some desire, but has he really loved God with his whole mind? If, if he's able to hold together this deep love of the word and a lack of love for this enslaved man whom he renowns Onesimus. Uh, leads us to the next question, did, did he really love his neighbor as himself? I have to say, I think the answer is no. And it's fairly easy to run this test, right? Anytime we're asking whether we're loving our neighbors as we love ourselves, we, we ask, would, would we want to be treated this way? Would Pastor Cotton have wanted to be purchased, kidnapped from his homeland, shipped to another place, the West Indies, and then purchased again, would would he have wanted to be enslaved and treated in these ways? I don't know of anyone who has ever said, I want to become a piece of property. I want to be a living tool. I want to be stripped of all my dignity and, and treated as though I am inferior in all ways at all times. I don't know anyone who wants to be treated that way. And so as we have talked this week about this example and we're, we're asking the question, is, is this a person who loved the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength? Is this a person who loved his neighbor as himself? It doesn't appear that he did. Maybe he wanted to. Maybe he sincerely desired to grow in both of those ways. But it's hard to live those things out. And it doesn't seem that this man succeeded in doing so.
2: Yeah, and it it seems simple, right? Um, I mean, this is for the the children here. I have children myself, and I'm always quick to remind them when they mess up. Uh, cause that's just what parents do sometimes. You ain't got to agree. I know you do it. But the world's been broken ever since the Garden of Eden. Amen? Amen. Woo! And we, we are broken in that too. Amen? Amen. And so being broken little people in a fallen world really makes things simple in, a, in one way. And it's hard for us to, to do what we're actually called to do in the other way. That really is this, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love our neighbor. Easier said than done, right? So Jimmy and I got two points uh, with several subpoints, uh, but just two. So for those of you who are note-takers, the first point is this. The gospel of Jesus gives us new power to reunite loving God with our whole selves. The gospel of Jesus gives us new power to reunite loving God with our whole selves. Second point is this. The gospel of Jesus gives us new power to love our neighbors as ourselves. If you would jump to verse 5 with me. I want us to consider how this power to love God begins with our beliefs. Now, mind you, Paul is a house-arrested prisoner. Onesimus, excuse me, goes to him in this house arrest, gives him this account, and this is what Paul says. Because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus, and toward all the saints. Now, let's just kind of ask ourselves this question. If somebody were to give a report of us after this service, would that report sound like that? Would they say, I've seen brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, and they have demonstrated their faith towards God in such a way That they love the saints. This is a a man, just to kind of give you a little background, Paul's Jewish. He's of the the, the group that's very much superior minded. Jews were racist. That isn't just simple enough. Okay? He's got Timothy with him, who's half Jew, half Greek. He's a mixed kid, and we all know how mixed kids get treated. Just even look at America. Then you got um, Philemon, Aphia, Archippus, and a church that meets in this house. You got a group of Gentiles, both Greeks and Romans, who also think that they're the best and think less of other people, call those people barbarians. So you got what kind of sounds like America going on in this passage. And for a Jewish prisoner who then hears the report from a man who was a slave, telling him that my master loves the Lord God." This is prior to his conversion. This is prior to Onesimus getting saved. This is the report that he has about his master. The power to love God begins with our belief, saints. We can't take that for granted. Why? Because we are made in his image, commanded to worship and serve him. And if we just try to do that on cruise control, try to just think because I'm a good person, I'm just going to wake up and I'm going to just exude the Holy Spirit, help you. That's not how it goes. We have to consider that our faith is always on display. Someone's always going to notice our faith or lack thereof. And for those of us who have kids, our kids always see that before anybody else does. So just a little helpful reminder for you. Secondly, we're going to see in verse 10 the power to love God with our practices. Paul says this, I appeal to you, Philemon, for my child, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment." Now again, as a parent, I give lots of commands to my kids and very little appeals from love. And you don't even have to raise your hand and say, me too. It's just something we're, we're pretty good at as Americans and our rugged individualism. We love to bark out commands but not really appeal. But in this case, Paul, who's, again, a prisoner, doesn't even, like, make mention that he's an apostle. It's not about his power. It's about his position of loving this man and this church that he's writing to. And what he is saying is, look, yes, we got the faith right, and that's important. But if you don't put some feet to your faith, then what good is your faith? James too says it a different way. Okay, you, you got faith, I got works. Show me your faith without works. We all know that that's dead. But James also says this, how can that kind of faith save us? It's not enough to just have faith in the right things. As Presbyterians, we love catechisms and confessions. And guess what? Just believing in those things without the faith, without the uh, works to follow that, leaves us where? High and dry, trying to be in the good place, trying to figure out a way to earn something. But in this case, what what Paul does is really exemplify for Philemon what he's asking him to do, and what we see as well, is that his circumstances of chains, his lack of privilege, his not mentioning his powerful position, didn't keep Paul from being faithful, it didn't keep Paul from appealing from love. I know we only got 35 minutes, but brother, I, I, I want to say something to encourage us here. We can't expect the world to know who Jesus is until we actually believe who Jesus is to the world. What I mean by that is this. We can't just say, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm better than you. I'm of the chosen people, I'm elect, and list out all these great things that are biblical, and then just sort of expect the lost to come to us because we got the right answer. we got the right Savior, the right God, the right Lord, one faith, one baptism, all that. No, we have to leave our, our places of comfort, our places of power, and go to the lost. Love on folks who look and don't look like us, live and don't live where we live. And just don't do everything that we think is the Christian way, because it really is not a confirmed Christian way. I hate to bust bubbles there. Lastly, we have the power to love God with our affections. We started with beliefs, we went to the practice, and now we're going to the affections. We're talking about our our whole selves here. And here we're going to be in verse 17. Paul says this, If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. What is Paul saying there? Paul is saying, look, as the apostle who actually brought the gospel to Colossae, where the church is that meets in your house, never mind that. I'm not standing on that. I'm appealing to you out of love, not as the apostle who can command you. And I'm saying this if you regard me as an apostle, if you regard me as your brother in Christ, and I'm telling you that this, this man who once was a slave is now my child in the faith, receive him. In a way, Paul's being this Christian liaison. He's being this go-between, right? Taking this man who was master to slave and saying, wait a minute, I'm in the middle. We're now brother to brother. Our relationship status has changed. And Galatians 3.28 is still true even in this context. It's not about you being master, you being like the guy who has enough space to hold a church, which I can't imagine how big his house was. But what he's saying is, the way that you have loved the saints and the way that you regard me as your partner, you've got to see Onesimus the same way. You've got to be consistent in the same way. There is no option to be faithful to what God has called us to do, saints. We don't get to lay back and just say, well, maybe in four, four more years I'll be faithful. Well, you know, Georgia turned blue this year. Or, oh, my guy won and now everything's going to be great. Can I tell y'all something? In case Jimmy don't say this and as a guest, you kind of get to say things. (laughs) Jesus came on a lamb. Not these other mascots that we sometimes look to and talk about. In fact, if we focus more on the lamb than we did on the eagle, maybe we would be more faithful as his witnesses in America. And then lastly, this. You consider Paul is is really preaching peacemaking. He's actually telling a man who actually believes the gospel that when you believe the gospel here and someone over here gets saved, You love and you treat this brother the same way you would over here. In fact, the gospel is all about peacemaking, is it not? I mean, we we know that we're born in sin, and you're going to tell someone about the gospel. You're doing that because you want them to, to be made right with God and then be made right with man. This is what peacemaking looks like. See, I'm family, although this is my first time preaching here. I'm your brother and your sister whether you like it or not. We got the same Savior. Amen, somebody? Okay, y'all was too quiet on that one. (laughs) We got to do a recap of the gospel in a second. So peacemaking occurs in community. Peacemaking is evident. Peacemaking is on display. Peacemaking should be something that is said about us if we're being faithful. The same way it was reported about Philemon. Peacemaking does not occur in isolation. And the second point of this sermon, I'm going to let Jimmy handle this one.
0: Are you having fun?
2: Man, we look kind of fly with these bow ties, brother. I know
0: it. I know it. This, earlier this week, Stephen told me I was a uh, sharp, sharp-looking Presbyterian. So I figured I better lean into that a little bit today. Amen. I think this is the first time I've shown up to preach in a suit after being here five and a half years. Um, yeah. So you know, Stephen's having a good effect on me and on my life. So and um, you look good in that bow tie. I gotta well, thank say. thank you. I appreciate that. So Stephen's been telling us, um, you know, here. Here's what starts to happen when, when a group of people, a community formed around Jesus, when we begin to love the Lord our God with, with our whole self, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's gonna show up in a lot of different ways. It's gonna show up in what we believe, our faith and how we live that out. It's gonna show up in our practices, our conviction that words alone aren't enough. We wanna love the Lord with all that we do. And our affections who do we love who do we love and how do we love them do we do we love some people who are brothers and sisters in christ at one level and then others who are skeptical and suspicious and and you get this letter that's saying hey brother philemon you are known for living out your faith in god by loving these people and now you need to love this brother in the same way why because of this wholehearted love you have for God. When we love God with our whole self, it starts to change everything about us. And then part of the good news of the gospel is that that we also have a new power to love our neighbors as ourselves. This wholehearted love for God changes us. And one of the fruits of that is a new way to love our neighbors Let's talk about the hard cases, loving our neighbors who seem impossible to love. Now because this is the Bible, we might think that it's, you know, it's kind of painting these Sunday school fairy tales where everybody's nice and it was easy for everybody to like each other and get along because, you know, that, that's kind of one version of looking at Christianity. But, but this is talking about the real world. This is, this is a gospel message about a man who was crucified. Jesus doesn't play games with the hard realities of this life. He steps into every one of them. And so let's look with some of that eye of reality to some of the hard cases present here of neighbors beginning to love one another in a way that would have seemed impossible in the first century. Is it really possible for Onesimus, a man who was enslaved by Philemon, to love Philemon? That's one of the implications of verse 16, right? He is no longer a slave, but more than a slave, he is a beloved brother. Well, if they're brothers, then then this is just as much a call for Onesimus, the enslaved, to love Philemon, the slave master. That's going to be really hard to do, isn't it? What's it going to be like the first time you're Onesimus carrying this letter back and, and looking in the eye of a man who has been taught his whole life to view you as an inferior? What is it gonna be like to stand before that man and say, brother? All, all of your, the history of, throughout the history of your relationship, he has viewed you as nothing more than a living tool. And the laws of his culture have told him he could treat you any way he pleases. And knowing that that's the history and background that shaped your relationship, would it be hard to look that man in the eye and say, I am honored to call you my brother because we share faith in Jesus? I believe it would be incredibly difficult to do that. I've never been enslaved. I don't know this from experience. But I believe it would be next to impossible to consider loving someone in those circumstances. And yet everything about this little letter, 25 short verses as it is, and I'm kind of partial to short things. Even though it's short, it's packed with this powerful assumption that there's something Jesus has done that can make, that can make it possible to love, even in relationships where that love seems impossible. I think think here's another hard case assumed in this letter. Is it going to be possible for Philemon to love Onesimus? For Philemon, who has been the slaveholder, to really love Onesimus as a brother? Is that going to really be possible? Well, as Stephen mentioned earlier, that uh, there was a whole lot of racism going on in the ancient world, so many Jewish people thought they were superior to the Gentiles around them. And of course the Greeks and Romans thought they were superior to everybody else. Everybody else were the barbarians who couldn't speak real language like we do. And so the word barbarian comes from Greek people making fun, uh, Greek speakers making fun of non-Greek speakers. They're the people who go blah, 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 blah the blah, blah, aryans That's where we get that word from. Is it going to be possible for Philemon, who has always viewed himself culturally as vastly superior to a slave, to now say, I'm going to stop viewing this man as a slave, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother? When you're told your whole life that you're superior to other people, you kind of get used to it. You kind of start to enjoy it. And if suddenly that sense of privilege is taken away, and now instead of viewing one another this way, the gospel is leveling our relationship and saying not only brothers equals, but beloved brother, I think it's going to be hard for Philemon to do this. It's going to seem nearly impossible. Verse 18, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Many people have assumed in the interpretation of this letter, it never says so, that uh, Onesimus must have stolen something from Philemon so that he owes him money. That's one possibility. Another possibility is simply that by leaving Philemon's home, Onesimus is viewed as having stolen something valuable himself. He's a valuable piece of property. So even if he took nothing with him, just by going away, Culturally, he would be viewed by slaveholders in the Roman Empire as having stolen the value of his own person and labor. That's a terrible way to view human beings, but is the root of slavery. It is viewing someone else as nothing more than free labor. Is it going to be easy? For Philemon, who's gonna, he's going to be able to point to law books and say it is legal and proper for me to view you as my property. I pay good money for you. Is it going to be easy for Philemon to stop thinking that way? I don't think it is. I don't think so. And that's why Paul has to be so careful here to say I'm not appealing to Roman law. I am appealing to you on the basis of love. I'm appealing to you on the basis of our shared faith in Jesus Christ. I gotta bring out the heavy artillery. I'm not commanding you because I'm an apostle. I'm bringing out the most powerful resource I know of, Philemon, to transform the way you view this man so that you will no longer welcome him and receive him as a slave and wipe your forehead and say, oh good, my books are square again. I didn't lose so much money. I'm glad I'm whole again financially. Instead, you will say, I love you, brother, and I will never treat you as a living tool again because now you are more to me. You are a beloved, Brother, I think that's going to be nearly impossible. And yet, and yet, there are people living in the first century who have nothing in common but faith in Jesus. And they seem to believe that Jesus can give them a new kind of power to love even the neighbors who would seem most impossible to love. Let me give one more hard case we find in this little letter. It's buried down in verse 24. We treat these kind of as throwaway verses, the very end verses of a, of a New Testament letter. But there's a whole lot of power going on in those verses. And one of the people who greets Philemon and Aphia and Archippus and the church that meets in Philemon's home, one of the people sending their greetings from Paul's place of imprisonment is a man named Mark. There weren't many famous Marks in the New Testament church. So who's a Mark so famous that you could just throw his name out there and everybody knows who you're talking about? Well, there's a famous Mark who appears in Acts chapter 15, and he goes on a missionary trip with Paul and Barnabas. And it seems to be going well, but about halfway through the trip, Mark just leaves. He bails. And when Paul and Barnabas are thinking later about going on another missionary trip, they're discussing, should Mark come with us? And if you read Acts chapter 15, there's a big falling out. And, Mark, and Paul and Barnabas never do ministry together again. Because Barnabas says, yes, my cousin John Mark should come with us on our next trip. And Paul says, absolutely not. And they have such a significant disagreement that Barnabas goes one way and Paul goes another And yet here is Mark, mentioned again, and mentioned positively by Paul. Have you ever had that kind of disagreement with somebody? A leadership question, a shared ministry kind of question, and you have a falling out, and you think, it's a good thing there are a lot of churches in Atlanta, because they can go over there, and we can stay over here, and we just never have to see each other again. The gospel can heal those broken relationships. It has the power. It has the power to help us love one another. Even when we've had those significant disagreements and we think there will never be peace again. Where does love seem impossible in our world to you? Where are the dynamics that seem that gap is so big it could never be closed. Where does love seem impossible in your life? Who is the person that you feel so far distant from that you think there's no way we could ever love one another as beloved brothers and sisters in Jesus? Is there Where do the gaps seem biggest? That's exactly where the power of the gospel can go. And it can break down those barriers. It can close those gaps. And it can heal the division. And it isn't easy. It's hard. It's hard work. It's expensive work. Paul has to buy very expensive writing material to use to send his letter. You and I don't think it's expensive. It's just paper after all. (laughs) Not in the ancient world. And he probably has to send out to the marketplace for a secretary to write down what he's saying out loud. And that costs money. Somebody had to pay money so that Paul could say, Philemon, Onesimus, love one another. Beloved brothers, beloved brothers, the gospel is worth spending some money and some time and some tears. So that those gaps can be closed. And it's not the letter writer that has the power. It's not the words on the page that have the power. It's this good news about what Jesus has done because Jesus has solved the hardest case of all. The hardest case, the hardest people to love are the strangers who have no interest in knowing who you are. The people who are at war with you and they have no interest in peace. The people who are estranged from you and they want it to stay that way. And that's who we are before the God who made us. And the gospel is Jesus coming into our world to make peace among enemies. Where we have said to God, God, we are at war with you and we like it that way and we want it to stay that way. You want to rule our lives. You want to rule the whole universe. But we think we could do a better job. So we'd love it if you would just step aside and fade away into obscurity. And if that means we're going to be at enmity forever, we're fine with that. That's what sin is. Sin is being God's enemy and being okay with it anyway. And God closed the gap through Jesus. How do we know that? Look at verse 3. Grace to you and peace you're not enemies anymore. Peace from God. The God you hated is giving you the gift of peace, and He is your Father. He wants you in His family. The biggest gap in this room right now is not between male and female. The biggest gap in this room right now is not between black and white, it's a big gap in our culture. Yeah, it's big. There's a lot of healing that needs to happen. I'm not trying to minimize that. I'm trying to put it in its proper scale. The gap between us and God is even bigger than that. The gap between us and God is even bigger than the gap between people who liked hearing this morning's Zoom seminar and those who hated it. And if you weren't a part of that, if you go back and view it, you'll know why I'm saying that the words that were spoken during that hour, the things we addressed, had the potential to just send us to our corners. And they seem like they're so big that nothing could heal those tensions and that kind of conflict and friction. But here's the good news of the gospel. The gap between us and God was even bigger than that, and Jesus closed it. That's why we believe that he can close all the gaps and he can cause people who viewed one another as as simply living tools and owners to now start viewing one another as beloved brothers because of Jesus he can close the gap can i can i quote, quote you stephen Stephen was asked a question this morning during our seminar time. Hey, what's it like to be a black pastor in a majority white denomination? And he said, well, it's a lot like having a seat at the table but no voice. God can close the gap between those who have had voice and those who haven't. He can close the gap. Whatever the gap is, he can close it. We know because Jesus came to close the biggest gap of all, the one between us and the God who made us. The biggest gap is always the gap between us and God, and the gospel closes that gap, and that's where the power for loving our neighbor comes from. We see the price God was willing to pay to bridge the distance between us and Himself. And it makes us ready to bear a lot of cost to close the distance between us and our neighbors, our Christian neighbors, brothers and sisters in Christ, and our neighbors who are not Christians, who remain our neighbors. That gap can be closed because of what Christ has done. So one of the things we heard this morning um, in our Zoom seminar time was, uh, hey, how, how, do, how do we stay engaged in all this work? Even though it's so hard and complicated, what can we actually do? Hmm. I've been getting that question a lot over the past couple of weeks. Jimmy, thanks for the great teaching, thanks Stephen, thank Luke, thank Thurman for all the great teaching, but what do we do? What do we do? And I want to tell you, we're heading there, okay? Stay tuned to our seminars and our sermons in weeks to come. We're, we're going there. What do we do with that question? Stephen, tell us about that question. <laughs>
2: oh, that's a, that's a good question. It's a dangerous question. Um. I'm going to answer it by um, reciting this song that I learned in the black church. Jesus went to Calvary to save a wretch like you and me. That's love. They hung him high. They stretched him wide. He hung his head for you and me. He died. That's love. But that's not how... The story ends, because in three days, he rose again. That's love. Now, what does that have to do with what are we supposed to do next? Well, if you come to the end of yourself because you don't have the answer, you're actually in the best place you can be. Because this is why we need the Trinity. This is why we have community. This is why we have the Holy Spirit. We've got to learn what it means to walk in the Spirit as a body, not solo Christianity. That's never really gotten us anywhere but in trouble. So we can start there to walk together in the Spirit, to submit to the Spirit, to trust the Spirit, to point us to Christ, to make much of Him and not of ourselves, not of our our little small kingdoms, our great reasons to pat ourselves on the back. We can start there and keep moving there. We can actually move towards an answer.
0: In the coming weeks, we, we do want to help by providing answers to that question, some practical steps we can take. But right now we need to say, any way we answer that question, what can we do? It has to boil down to, that's love. Love for God yeah. and love for neighbor. We don't want to try to be wiser than Jesus. If you're wondering what to do, Jesus says, love God with your whole heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. Jesus, where in the world would I find power to do that? And the answer is, look what I did to close the gap between you and the Father. And the joy that comes from that that will make you want to taste that as much as you can and share it with others, that is where you will find the power to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for the joy of this day. Thank you for the challenges of this day. Uh, if we were writing the Bible, we would probably not include a book that dealt with the issue of slavery. We would probably not acknowledge the fact that you called to yourself a man who was a slaveholder in the first century, a man named Philemon. we kind of like to sweep that under the rug. We, we would like to avoid some of the hard questions and hard issues. But Jesus, you came to endure the cross. You did not run away from hardship, from challenge, from discomfort, even from brutality. And you did that out of love to reconcile and redeem and to destroy everything evil that divides us from your Father and that divides us from one another. And so we thank you that the the deeper we dive into the hard things of Scripture and of life and of loving relationships, the deeper we dive into the hard places, the closer we come to you and to your great love because you are the crucified and resurrected Savior. We rejoice and we pray and we celebrate you in your name. Amen.